there were some sheep herders camping in the neighborhood, and they'd set night watches over their sheep. And suddenly, God's angel stood among them, and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified. And the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. The Savior is born today in David's town. A Savior who is Messiah and Master. This is what you're to look for. A baby lying in a manger, wrapped in a blanket. At once... The angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises. Glory to God in the highest heavens. Peace to all men and women on earth who please him. And as the angel choir withdrew into heaven, the sheep herders talked it over. Let's get over to Bethlehem as soon as we can and to see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. They left running and they found Mary and, and Joseph. And the baby, lying in the manger, well, seeing was believing. <laughs> they told everyone they met what the angel had said about this child, and all who heard them were impressed. But Mary, Mary kept these things within her, deep down within her, dear. The sheep herders returned. They let loose, glorifying and praising God for everything they'd seen and heard. It had turned out exactly the way they'd been told. And when the eighth day arrived, the day of circumcision, the child was named Jesus the name the angel gave him before he was conceived. In Jerusalem at that time, there was a man, Simeon by name, a good man, a man who lived in the prayerful expectation of help for Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit had shown him that he would see the Messiah of God before he died, and led by the Spirit, he entered the temple, and as Jesus' parents brought in the child to carry out the rituals of the law, Simeon took him in his arms and blessed God. God, you can now release your servant. Release me in peace, as you promised. With my own eyes, I've seen your salvation. It is out in the open for everyone to see. A God-revealing light for the non-Jewish nations and of glory for your people, Israel. And Jesus' mother and father, well, they were speechless with surprise at, this, at these words. And, and Simeon, he went on to bless them. And he said to Mary, his mother, this child marks the failure and the recovery of many in Israel, a figure misunderstood, contradicted, the pain of a sword thrust through you, but the rejection 
will force honesty as God reveals who they really are. Well, hello, everyone. My name's Joe. And can I just say a huge thank you on behalf of all of us to our band, who are doing such a beautiful job, aren't they, this evening, of leading us in our carols and in our singing. I don't know if you noticed on the way in, but we've got some big letters up in the entrance hall. In our church in December, our theme is hope, and you'll have walked past the H-O-P-E as you came in. You know, when we think about hope, often when we're talking about hope, we're talking about wishful thinking. We think, I hope I get that promotion in the new year. I hope my granny gets better. I hope I get all the presents on my Christmas list. And we say hope because we're uncertain. We don't actually know if we will get that promotion or if granny will get better or if all our Christmas dreams will come true. You know, as we think about Christmas and we look at the Bible, when the Bible talks about hope, it's talking about something different. Hope in the Bible is a confident expectation that God is going to do what he promised. A certainty that he can be trusted to do what he said. And this isn't just wishful thinking. This is based on the experience of millions of people over many generations that God is reliable and that he keeps his promises. The Bible says in Psalm 42, put your hope in God. And you can see on the screen, a passage in Jeremiah tells us, blessed, or that means happy, are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. You know, the promise of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas is that even though the world is dark and many of us have a lot of difficulty in our lives, that there is a God who knows us and loves us and wants to walk through every day with us. Life with him is way better than life without him. And when we celebrate Christmas as we are this evening, we're not just looking back and remembering a baby, a historical event, a baby being born. As Christians, we're actually looking forward, knowing that Jesus is coming back again and we can put our hope in him. So how do we do this? Well, I was thinking about the word hope, and I came up with um, just something from the four letters, H-O-P-E. I think you call it a mnemonic. Oops, jumped ahead there. The mnemonic is hold on in prayerful expectation. At the time of the first Christmas, you may well know that the Jewish people were in deep trouble. They started out following God but they'd made some bad choices. And as a result, they were enslaved and they were oppressed for many, many years. And in their despair, they called out to God and he promised them a rescuer, a saviour who would come and help them. His coming was foretold in their ancient holy books many hundreds of years before the first Christmas. And there was huge anticipation. But I'm sure that as he failed to arrive, year after year, generation after generation that many may well have doubted whether those scriptures would ever come to be. But some people did continue to hope, to hold on in prayerful expectation. As Stefan so beautifully showed us from the Bible today, when the angel appeared to the shepherds, they said the good news is 
that the Saviour, the Master, is here. The promise has been fulfilled. But he's there in disguise. He's a baby and he's wrapped up in cloths and he's in a manger. Now for us that looks super cute. It's very Christmas card worthy, isn't it? But as a parent, would you really want to put your newborn baby in a feeding trough? Is that the kind of place you'd expect to see a king? Then we heard how Simeon, that man who'd spent a long time praying and being with God, who was eagerly awaiting this long hoped for saviour, he was actually there at the time. He saw that promise fulfilled. He held Jesus and he said, I can die now. I know it's all going to be all right. And so we can see that God made a promise. He said, I'm sending a saviour. And the promise was fulfilled. Now, as Stefan said, when Simeon came, he described Jesus as a light to reveal God. Because if the God is who the Bible says he is, he's awesome and majestic, he's mighty, he's powerful, he's all-knowing. And I don't know about you, but I don't find that particularly relatable. And so he sent Jesus, God with skin on, to bridge the gap, to come to earth. And that makes him hugely relatable because he literally was born, and we've all been there. He was born, he grew up, he knows what it is to walk through the challenges of life. Jesus is a, is a historical figure, as you probably know. But he didn't just stay as a baby. He grew up and lived the most remarkable life. And everywhere he went, people were drawn to him. And he changed their lives. There are, an, there are amazing records of him doing this throughout the Bible, where there are eyewitness accounts. And you know, as you open your papers or if you look at the news today, we are longing for people who are going to lead us well, aren't we? We're looking for leaders who are moral and who are effective, who are kind, who look out for the vulnerable, who help the oppressed, who've got solutions for the difficult situations of life. And Jesus was and is one such leader. In fact, Pete read that passage from John, didn't he? Who said, Jesus is generous inside and out, true from start to finish just the kind of leader they needed then and we need now. But as Stefan showed us, what Simeon said to Mary was that many are going to oppose him. He'll be misunderstood and contradicted. And this came true. He caused huge problems to the religious leaders of the day and they killed him. And for many people, this was unexpected. The promised saviour of the world, dying on a cross. Now that might look like a disaster, God's plan gone belly up. But actually, it was the fulfillment of another promise. Because Jesus had said, I'll die and come back to life. And that promise was fulfilled too. Before he left and went to go to heaven, Jesus said, I've got to go away. And when I've done that, I'll send my spirit so that you can all have my presence with you. I'm not just a man confined to one place and one time. I am God with you, present to anyone who wants to know me. And Jesus, having appeared to over 400 people over a period of 40 days, went back to heaven and sent his spirit. And in the Christian calendar, we celebrate that at Pentecost. Lots of people were quite bewildered. But there were people who were holding on in prayerful expectation. 
And you know, the Holy Spirit lives in and with anybody who wants to follow God. Ordinary people like you and me can have a relationship with him. And as we get to know him better, he brings change and transformation in our lives. We've seen examples of that in our church family this year. We've had people who needed work. And as we've prayed and as they partnered with God, they've got jobs. We've had people who've been in really difficult financial situations. And money has come through for them as it's been needed. We've had people who've been in physical pain who've got better. And others in hugely stressful situations who have found an inexpressible inexplicable peace those kind of events were happening around Jesus all through the Bible all through history and are still happening today and so God made a promise I'm sending my spirit and the promise was fulfilled so that's three big promises made by God do you remember the first one was I'm sending a savior and he did he sent Jesus the second one was I'm going to die but I will come back to life again. And that's what happened to Jesus. And the third one was, I'm going to send my spirit. And that's what happened too. So that's why we can have confidence in his fourth promise. He's promised that he's coming back. But this time he's not coming as a baby. He's coming back as the rightful king of the whole world. It's a big claim, but he's been right three times already. So I, for one, am going to trust him for the fourth. So Jesus' promise is two. I'm coming back again. What are we going to do about that? Well, as I mentioned earlier, as well as making a huge impact on people, the ordinary people of the day, Jesus had a lot of discussions with the religious leaders. They all had opinions about the best way to connect with God. And it was generally based around a load of rules and regulations. And now Stefan's going to come back up and tell us what, Steph, what Jesus had to say in one of those situations. Then they sent some Pharisees and Herodians to catch him in his words. Teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the word of God in accordance with truth. Now, um, tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius, let me see it. So they brought the coin. And Jesus said, whose portrait is this? Whose inscription? Hmm? Caesar's, they replied. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. A teacher of the law came by. He heard them debating. And seeing that Jesus had given a good answer, he said to him, Teacher, Of all the commandments, which is the most important one? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart 
with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourselves. There's no greater commandment than these. Oh, well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one and there was no one but him to love him with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our strength and understanding. (laughs) And to love our neighbors as ourselves. Well, it's better than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he'd given a wise answer, He said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one had dared ask him any more questions. Thank you, Stefan. Isn't it lovely to have the Bible come alive like this? Um, Stefan knows the whole of the Gospel of Mark. That was an extract from Mark. And in February, you'll hear a bit more later, but he's going to be coming and um, performing or embodying that for us. And so one for your diary, the the 9th of February next year will be a a day to come and, and see more of the Bible come alive in that way. But the question I had was, God made a promise he's coming back again. What do we do about that? Well, you know, Jesus had a message, didn't he, for that guy, that religious leader? And he has got a message for each of us tonight. The thing about that guy was he knew the right things to do. He knew that he was supposed to put God first. And then from the outflow of that, that he was supposed to love his neighbor. And I love what Jesus said to him. He said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. In fact, another translation says, you're almost there. You're right on the border of God's kingdom. And perhaps like that guy, you're here tonight and you are right on the border of God's kingdom. Maybe you've been looking at the claims of Jesus or seen something of him in the kindness of a friend or had a dream or a spiritual experience that points you towards him. He's inviting you to cross the border, to choose to become part of the kingdom where he's the king of your life. You know, my son was talking to a friend the other day about Jesus, and his friend said, I, the thing is, I know what the Bible says. It says you can't go to heaven if you do bad stuff. And I've done all the wrong stuff already, so I've given up on that option. This guy was only about 18. I've done all the wrong stuff already, and I've given up on that option. And I thought, the thing is, JJ's friend was right He knows that the stuff that we do wrong separates us from God. It stops us being connected with him. The Bible calls that stuff sin, S-I-N. And I read this week, you know, that letter in the middle, the I, is the bit that really gets us in trouble. It's where we put ourselves first rather than God, as Jesus just showed. But the problem is not final. And this was the bit that JJ's friend didn't know. Because Jesus lived a perfect life, because he died on the cross, because he rose again and came back as he promised, he restored the connection that we can have with God. You know, as Pete said of Jesus in that very first reading, he, that's Jesus, 
came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him, that includes you and me, who believed he was who he said he is and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God's selves. And so to live life in God's kingdom, we need a special kind of visa. To cross that border, there has to be a way in. And Jesus has paid for that already, but we have to apply for the visa. To live in that kingdom, we have to choose to leave our old way of life behind, giving up our way of doing things and putting God first in everything. And that's what it means to put our hope and our trust and our confidence in God. And, you know, if you'd like to find out any more about that, I'd love to chat with you after the service. Or we've got these free little books, which are called The Christmas Connection, which you'd be so welcome to take home and read at your leisure. And so Jesus' message, if you are very close to the border, is why don't you come on in? I'd love you to be in the kingdom with me. But also, I think he's got a message for some of us, too, who are in the kingdom who have stepped over the border. And we feel at the moment that we are just about managing to hold on. Perhaps we have a crisis in our family. Perhaps we have a challenge in our health. Maybe we have a deep need or a deep longing that isn't being filled. We feel like we're holding on by our fingertips this Christmas. And God's message is, just come to me. And that's where the prayerful expectation bit comes in. Because some people think that praying is just another thing they have to add to their list. But in fact, praying is just the way that we connect with the God who loves us. And sure, we bring our needs and our longings to him. But really, it's just a case of being with him. We invite him to come and work in our lives and in the lives of those around us. It's something to open to all of us, just talking to him as a friend. And so perhaps this Christmas you need encouraging in your prayerful expectation. Perhaps you haven't been looking towards Jesus or coming close to him for a while. He just says, come back, here I am, and I'm waiting for you. There's a beautiful prayer which is written in Romans 15. And it says this, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that hope that we can experience as followers of Jesus is something that we can be so filled with that it overflows to other people. And if that's what you need tonight, that's available to you too. We're going to sing another carol now. It's one called In the Bleak Midwinter. I don't know if you know this one already. It's a bit more of a modern carol. And it does make me smile a little because it talks about there being terribly cold and bad weather, which I don't kind of think about when I think about Israel and the Mediterranean climate there. But what it does remind me of is that sense of the world which is waiting and longing for God. If you've read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, it talks about a time when it was always winter and never Christmas. Yet the invitation of Christmas is that as we welcome Jesus into our hearts and into our lives, and we don't need to live in the cold any longer, but we can live in connection with him.
idea of hope, that hold on in prayerful expectation. With just a question for you, what are you holding on to in prayerful expectation? I'm going to do three prayers. One prayer which is for our world at this time. One that's for our community and then one for ourselves. Within each prayer I'm just going to pause And just allow a moment to reflect. And just to ask you to have a think about what can we hope for and hold on to in prayerful expectation. Father God, we've heard that you are God of hope. And yet it's in short supply in much of our world. We pray first for those who are only just holding on in places of conflict, famine, and despair. Take a moment and reflect. What can we hope for, for our world? And so, Father, we ask for your help and intervention to bring peace in conflict, solutions in famine, and hope where there is despair. And, Father, we pray for those in our communities and our neighbourhoods who are grieving this Christmas, those who are struggling with illness or family changes. Take a moment and think about your community those people who are around you and what can we hope for? And so Father we ask that you comfort those who mourn bring strength courage and healing to those who need it. And Father, we pray for ourselves. What are we hoping for in our own lives? And so, Father God, please help us to hold on to you in the middle of challenges and to fill us with your joy and your peace as we trust in you. Amen.